Welcome to Faith Westwood. My name is Holly Timberlake. I'm the Director of Adult and Family Discipleship. We are so glad that you have joined us for worship. If you are online or on Facebook or in person, we are just so glad you are here and want you to know that you are a part of our church family. If you haven't heard yet, we are really excited because we're gearing up for our Thanksgiving bag giveaway. We are filling up 375 bags and we're just so excited for that event. If you would like more information about that event, please let us know. We'd love to have you um, join us and be a part of it. During this worship service, we will have music, a message from Pastor Steve, and we will have scripture reading, and Miss Leah will have a children's time. Now, we encourage you to take a deep breath and prepare yourself for worship. Good morning, boys and girls. Miss Leah here. No matter if you're joining us online or here in worship, I am so glad you could be with us today. And remember, no matter where you're joining us from, you are exactly where God wants you to be. I brought this belt with me today so that we could talk about something that holds us all together. What does that have to do with a belt, right? Well, a belt can help you hold your pants up and it can also help you keep your shirt tucked in. So it holds our clothes or our outfits all together, right? Well, and in Bible times, the Roman soldiers, their belt was essential. They kept swords and daggers on their belt and it held their armor all together too. Did you know that we all have armor that's being held together by a belt too? Yes, it's spiritual armor from God that we can put on every day to face the world. And it is all held together by the belt of truth. God's truth. And what is that? Well, it's God's view on things. So what is truth? Can we rely on our feelings or our intelligence or what we think is right or wrong for the truth? No, because those things can change day to day. But when we get to know God and his word, we know what God says is true. The belt of truth helps us to keep it all together when we're faced with the lies that the world tells us or when the enemy tempts us to believe the something that isn't true. If someone tells you that you're not good enough or smart enough or fast enough or pretty enough, those are all lies. God's truth is that you are his child and you are loved no matter what. So when the words of the world, the lies are tugging down on you, Tighten your belt and know that the truth comes from God. And he wants you to remember his words of truth and love every day. So until next time, may the Lord bless you and always smile upon you. And all God's kids said, Amen. I'll see you again next time. Bye. for today come from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 through 5. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, 
They have the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. Hi, everybody. On Halloween, Trish and I prepared 47 little bags with stuffed with different kinds of candy for our trick-or-treaters. We had 33 kids show up, so that meant we had 16 little bags left over. And over the next week, mysteriously, that leftover candy is nearly gone, just disappeared. You know, that's one of the challenges of being human. We tend to consume whatever's around us, especially if it tastes good. And you know, I find the same thing is true with our thoughts. We tend to consume whatever's around us, especially if we find it appealing. I find this true especially in politics and the pandemic. People believe what they want to believe and then find reasons to support it. You know, when I see somebody posting, post something, the first thing I wonder is, why do they want to believe this? Why do they want to believe this? Today, we're looking at the battle for our thoughts. It's part of our fall series, Be Weak, Be Strong, Belong. And we're going through the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Now, a few years before Paul writes this letter, he spends a year and a half in Corinth, telling people about Jesus, teaching the new believers how to follow him. Then he leaves Corinth to check on churches he started in other places. While he's gone, he learns of some big troubles among the believers in Corinth. So he sits down, he writes him a letter. We don't have that letter. It was not preserved. Um, the only reason we know about it is because Paul mentions it in his next letter, the one in our Bibles that we call 1 Corinthians, but technically was the second letter. Sometime after that, he makes a short visit to Corinth. Uh, later, he would call it a painful visit. <laughs> I'm not really sure exactly all the reasons why, but at following that painful visit, he writes them a stern letter. We don't have that stern letter either. Uh, when he learns that most of them have responded favorably, though, to that stern letter, he writes them another letter. This is the one that we call 2 Corinthians, though technically it's the fourth letter. So it's also confusing. Um, Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. We have two of them in our Bibles. Now, I mention all this because there's a definite change in tone uh, in the last part of this letter, starting in chapter 10, where we're going to start today. That change in tone leads some Bible scholars to believe that this last section of, of 2 Corinthians is really part of a different letter altogether, maybe even part of the stern letter. That's possible, but I side with Bible scholars who see the unity of this letter we call 2 Corinthians. And one of the issues Paul must address is that the Corinthian Christ, Christ followers um, must have begun following people and ideas that just were not good for them. I remember years ago in another congregation, one of our small groups consisted of three or four guys, young men, who got together every fr early every Friday morning before work and for a you know small group Bible study. One of them had a friend from work uh, who asked if 
he could come along, if he could join their small group. No problem. But it became a problem. Eventually, the one who brought his friend, this new guy, came to me, and he told me what this new guy was, was talking about, what he was teaching, and it was definitely not biblical, not Christian teaching. Uh, not only that, now he was trying to convince the others in the group to leave their church and join him in a new church he was starting. Well, the next time the group met, I showed up. The newcomer didn't happen to be there, but uh, the few of us that were there, we talked through what had happened. Fortunately, we caught it before any of them became thoroughly sucked in by this guy. Um, you know, you ne I never like to tell someone that they're not welcome. But I find that sometimes you have to. And they told this guy that he couldn't come to group anymore. In, in first century Corinth, a few new preachers have shown up. Um, and they are just the kind of preachers that every church seems to be looking for. These guys are so entertaining, so witty and clever. And you can tell how well trained they are in the art of public speaking. With their powerful personal presence, they, they just captivate the sisters and brothers in Corinth. They draw huge crowds. And who could argue with success? I mean, it's so much fun. In later chapters, Paul refers to these preachers as super apostles. Now, I'm not sure whether that's his sarcastic term, term for them or how these uh, preachers uh, title themselves. The Greek word translated super is hyperlion. And we get the first part of that word, uh, we get the word hyper. And here it means higher, preeminent, highly esteemed. It's like they show up in Corinth and say, Ah, you don't need Paul. He's old news. Sure, he's an apostle, but he's on a lower tier. We're apostles on a higher level. We are super apostles. These new preachers, they, they talk about Jesus. They know the Old Testament. But the way they talk about Jesus is so different from the way Paul describes him. And Paul can tell right away that these guys, they are in it for the money and for the power, and the prestige. You know, this is my 11th year as your pastor. And you've had good pastors before me. I'm hoping that you, over the years, have become firmer in your faith. I hope you've become more secure in your biblical knowledge. I hope you've grown closer to Christ. And I, and I would hope that if someday you ever get a pastor who begins to lead this church astray, you'd know it, and you'd put a stop to it. Could you do that? Would you do that? Would you be able to tell if the, if the gospel they were preaching was off base? Would your spiritual antenna catch it if they were misinterpreting the Bible? Would you recognize it? if their ministry was about feeding their own egos. I'm counting on you to be so solidly grounded that you'd stand up to that kind of leadership. Paul confronts the Corinthians with how they've let these so-called super-apostles, which he later calls false apostles, to take advantage of them. In chapter 11, verse 20, he says, In fact... You even put up with anyone who enslaves you. 
or exploits you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or slaps you in the face. We can only imagine what was going on there. It's like these super apostles are turning the church into a cult. Now, let's go through the first five verses of chapter 10. Verse 1, he says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. Now, the model for Paul's leadership, of course, is Jesus. Jesus is the humble and gentle Messiah. And yet some in Corinth take that the wrong way. They say to each other, Paul, look at him. He was so bold in his stern letter. But when he was with us in person, he seemed so different. We've decided that Paul, that apostles need to have a commanding presence like these new ones here. But Paul also knows that even the humble, gentle Jesus sometimes could be bold and forceful. Like the time he walked into the temple and drove out all the sheep and the cattle and turned over the tables of the money changers. He said that they'd made his father's house of prayer into a den of robbers. You know, it takes a lot of wisdom for us Jesus followers to know when it's time to speak and act boldly. And Paul warns the sisters and brothers in Corinth that his day for doing that may soon be coming. Verse 2, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the world's, the standards of this world. Jesus' people do not live by the standards of this world. We live by the standards of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. And sometimes that requires boldness. Uh, like when we had to tell the guy going to that small group that he couldn't come anymore. Verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now here, Paul introduces a military metaphor that's going to continue through verse 5. Um, the world goes to battle armed with swords and spears. Jesus' people go to battle armed with grace for all. The world goes to battle armed with lies and unsubstantiated claims. Jesus' people go to battle armed with integrity and the Word of God. The world goes to battle believing that winning is everything. Jesus' people go to battle believing that faithfulness is everything. Jesus is our drummer, and we march to his beat. Though we live in this world, we do not belong to this world. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, we have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we carry, they're not the kind that make people bleed. We don't, we don't slander, we don't fall, falsely accuse. Those are the weapons of the world. The truth we carry is able to tear down the strongholds of the evil one. Now, what's a stronghold? What does he mean by that? Most larger cities in ancient times were fortresses. That is, they were surrounded by high walls. 
Uh, but imagine that an enemy has come into your territory and has built a stronghold, a fortress within it. Now they have a base of operation to attack the rest of your kingdom. But fortress walls, of course, were not impenetrable. Strongholds could and sometimes were broken. Paul's using the term stronghold to talk about uh, what's happening with these false apostles in Corinth. They've set up shop. They're planning a takeover. But Paul is coming, and he's coming with a counterattack. He's armed with truth that will demolish their stronghold. They think they understand the scriptures and the gospel. Paul's going to expose them as the phonies they are. And then in verse 5, Paul adds, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. For the rest of our time, I want to focus on the, that last part of verse 5. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. God wants us to think like Jesus. And that's going to require a long, a rigorous transformation of our minds. The message of the world's uh, the messages that the world gives us saturate our culture every day, and we soak them up, just naturally. Uh, we're usually unaware that it's even happening. The ideas of this world, we breathe them in just like at the air. But we do not live by the standards of this world, because we're learning to breathe heaven's air while we live in this world. I have, I have a one-sentence prayer I want to teach you. And I hope that you will dare to pray it. It's based on this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. And I believe it's the kind of prayer that only someone determined to become a deep, daring, daily disciple of Jesus would pray. Here it is. Jesus, take captive of my every thought until I think as you do. Let's test drive that prayer, shall we? Let's say it together. Jesus, Take captive of my every thought until I think as you do. I remember years ago, uh, Pastor Rick Warren saying that most people loved all the topics that he preached on from the Bible, except for two, money and sex. Most people want God to stay away from those areas of their lives. They want to make up their own minds for themselves. Today, I would include racism to that list. It's like these are the areas that we're telling God, well, we know what's best for us more than you do. In January of 2015, I preached a four-Sunday series called Sacred Sex. Do any of you remember that? I know some of you are a little fearful about me doing that series. Um, I was a little fearful about it. But it quickly became the most watched series I've ever given. Uh, you can still go to it and find it on our website. It was about what God intended for sexual expression to be and what it was not intended to be. What that looks like uh, before marriage was not the main focus of the series, but uh, during that time, a Christian couple who don't go to any church uh, and were living together, they listened online. And they came to me and said, 
Steve, based on what you've been teaching us, we've decided to stop sexual intimacy until we're married. Jesus, take captive of my every thought until I think as you do. This world tells us to spend more, acquire more, own more, go more. And you know, I'm not against having nice things. But I don't need the best. My car doesn't have to be new. My clothes are not usually the latest trends. You see, Jesus teaches me to think differently about possessions. And he shows me how to practice generosity. Anybody here a daily flosser? That's right, a daily flosser. If you are, you have my utmost admiration. Uh, one time my dentist explained why he recommends flossing so much. He said that there's always bacteria living in your mouth, and that's okay. But within a 24-hour period, those bacteria begin to colonize. Left unchecked, these bacterial colonies can cause tooth decay. Flossing destroys the colonies, wipes them out. And so if you floss every day, you never give the bacteria a stronghold in your mouth. And it's the same with our thought life. The thoughts coming in from the world, they swim around in our heads and left unchecked, unchecked they will colonize. They set up strongholds in our minds. And so by weekly worship and regular Bible reading and prayer, we disrupt that colonizing of the world and we let Jesus colonize our minds. Jesus, take captive my every thought until I think as you do. I've been reading through uh, Psalms and Proverbs lately, and yesterday's Psalm was 146. Here's, here's part of it. It says, Do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Blessed are those whose, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Do not put your trust in princes, it says, and I would add, or politicians. Now, we do need human leaders, but they are not the hope of our lives. Our hope is in the Lord our God. If your candidates win, it's not going to fix everything. If your candidates lose, it's not the end of the world. So I want to end by asking you, what stronghold has the evil one set up in your life? What parts of your thought life have you been unwilling to surrender to Christ? Are you easily offended? Has unforgiveness made you resentful? Had you been unwilling to examine racial assumptions within you? Do you make assumptions and jump to conclusions about certain topics? Do you make important moral decisions based on sentimentality or prejudice? Jesus, take captive my every thought until I think as you do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you know that sometimes my thoughts bounce around inside my head like popcorn popping. I can't keep up with it. Sometimes 
I assume that certain things must be true, and I, I can't even imagine otherwise. Lord, teach me to think as you think. So often my thoughts are held captive to the values of this world. Transform me until my thoughts are held captive to you, until they are in tune with your will. We pray in your name and all God's people said, Amen. Now, for those of you who are worshiping online through Facebook today, I have a question for you to respond to. Here it is. How would you end this sentence? I'd like to think differently about blank. In light of the message that we've just heard, um, how would you fill that out? Feel free to add a comment now uh, here in Facebook and then also reply to the comments of others and offer them a little support. I hope we get a little community interaction going here today. How would you end this sentence? I'd like to think differently about blank. See you next week.
One of the biggest battlefields that we will face is a battlefield over our thoughts. My prayer is this week that we will be open to the Holy Spirit's leading in showing us how to think differently. We encourage you to stop by faithwestwood.com forward slash service, fill out a connection card, and give us your prayer requests. You can also give to the mission of Faith Westwood. And the mission offering for this week is for FaithWorks Pantry's Thanksgiving bag meal giveaway. Every dollar you give today to the meal bag giveaway will be helping us fill up those 375 bags worth of food. We thank you so much for your generosity. In seven days, we will gather together and worship the Lord together. We hope to see you there.